And welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We have a guest here that has joined us, and we're going to hear some very interesting information about uh, business across the states in the United States. Lou, why don't you introduce our guest, if you would, please? I'd be happy to. Uh, we have here today uh, Ray Bacon, Executive Director of the Nevada Manufacturers Association. Thanks for joining us, Ray. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Uh, we... Uh, I heard an interesting story you and I talked about pri- prior to the show um, about how uh, how the mighty state of uh, Nevada took a mighty fall and uh, is working its way back. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, let me just start with a little bit of history. Nevada has been one of the fastest growing states in the union. We've been in the top five for fundamentally the last 40 years which means we fundamentally had two generations of folks in leadership in local governments, in the state government, and everything else that had never seen anything but a growth period. When the recession came, uh, Nevada went from being about 21 years in a row of being the fastest-growing state to dropping down to the slowest-growing state within a three-year window. Uh, To the best of my knowledge, and from historical records, nobody has ever fallen that fast, and nobody has ever stayed on top for that long period of time. We were then the slowest growing state for two years in a row. Then we came back up, and we're now back up at the 37th fastest growing state. I don't think that curve has ever been matched by anybody, and for the sake of everybody else, I hope they don't experience it. It has not been fun. I agree. Painful and sleepless nights to boot. Uh, what, aside from the fact that the uh, uh, recession, the Great Recession of uh, 08, that probably uh, put you into that uh, freefall, uh, what is it that uh, Nevada is doing to come back? Well, it's it's multiple stages. First of all, we have not come back uh, anywhere near like the vast majority of the country have. We wind up with several things that kind of impede progress, shall we say. First of all, we are very dependent as a state on what takes place at our neighbor to the west. And the state of California has, in many respects, not recovered from a lot of the recession yet themselves. They're getting back there, but it, it's been painful for them as well. The, the, manuf- the, the data in the state of Nevada looks like this. Uh, the construction industry lost about 70% of its jobs. So we went from having 12% of our employment in the construction sector down to we're right now about 5%, which is about the national average. So that all that uh, 7% that's gone away was relatively high-paid people, relatively fully engaged, many of them working overtime a lot of periods of time uh, to the point where they're just gone. Uh, many of them left the state. Many of them, however, could not leave the state. We have a history in the state of being somewhat... Um, somewhat lean on our education system, being as kind as I possibly can. Um, so a lot of those people did not have high school diplomas, and as you're well aware, in the rest of the country, as we wind up with a huge unemployment base, employers changed the rules. They no longer said high school diploma or equivalent. They started saying high school diploma, period. And that meant that a lot of our folks that didn't have a high school diploma, that were dropouts, couldn't even move someplace and find a job. And that's part of the reason our unemployment went high and stayed high. 
in the manufacturing sector, uh, we lost about 24.5% of the manufacturing jobs in this state. That's a huge hit. Huge hit. And and we've come back to the point we've gained about 10% of the losses back. But the people that made building materials, the people that, that made windows and doors and insulation and uh, construction materials of all different types and the things that went into those constructions, those manufacturing companies fundamentally have uh, kind of gone away in many cases. Many of them were branch plants, and those branch plants closed and may or may not ever come back to the state. So our recovery has been very slow. We've heard a lot here at uh, the ISM conference uh, about the training, the retraining, and the millenniums, the millennials who are uh, coming, coming online and going through training programs and so on in the universities and community colleges. And uh, uh, ThomasNet and ISM have a partnership now to do that. Is anything like that going on in here in the state uh, at the university or community college levels? We're doing a pretty good job with the community colleges. We, uh, one of our members, who also happens to be a board member of the National Association of Manufacturers, came back from one of their meetings with a, uh, a thing that, that NAM had put together with uh, the state of Wisconsin, or correction, uh, Minnesota, a thing called, they call Right Skills Now, which was to get people trained through a relatively brief period of time into being entry-level machinists. One of the women that was on the the President's Council looking at economic development that was headed up by uh, the GE CEO, Jeff Emelt, uh, said she was short of machinists and machine operators, and the President said, so what are you doing about it? And she didn't have a good answer. So they put together a program to take people from the unemployment roles and put them through a, the, the plan was a 16-week training program to make them CNC machine operators, not necessarily machinists, but, but fundamental operators. Um, uh, Kali came back from that meeting and said, we need to do the same thing here because we've got a shortage of machinists. Um, they started their program. We found out about it in October. They'd been working on it for four months. Uh, we started on the path to get it together. They started their program in January. We started our program in February, and by the end of the period, we'd fundamentally caught up. We took the two community colleges in northern Nevada where there are more machine operators and uh, started off with 40 and completed 37. All 37 of those are currently working in CNC machine operators or above in companies in northern Nevada. So finished 37, and all of them are still working, and that's not a bad track record. So the process uh, works. The process worked. We basically took those people to the NIMS, the National Institute of Metalworking Skills criteria, and they wound up getting the National Career Readiness Certificate and uh, four of the NIMS credentials in that 16-week window, which is pretty amazing progress. And every one of them came off the unemployment rolls. Excellent. That's that's what the rest of the country needs to be doing at the state levels. Well, and we've expanded that to some degree uh, into the welding program, a little bit different. Uh, we also took a look at when we did the first class, we learned a few things. We spent a little less time on the internships and the direct interface on a day-to-day -day basis, spent a little bit more classroom time, uh, brought in private sector folks to inspect the parts, 
so the, the ones that were going to be hiring them. Uh, we've also instituted a program to start working on uh, food manufacturing folks. The middle level in food manufacturing is grossly underserved in this country. So we've got multiple avenues going on. Not perfect, but we've made substantial progress. Ray, what is it that Ray Bacon and Associates uh, does, and, and why are you here at the ISM show? Uh, actually, I was invited by one of the professors down here at UNLV to come in and be a speaker. Ah. Uh, my primary mission is that I'm the executive director for the Manufacturers Association, um, but at the time that we started this whole operation, the association was, uh, shall we say, not financially sound. And so I work it as a contractor instead of being an employee for the association. Okay, okay. And, and what is your modus operandi here at the show? What are you trying to learn and what are you trying to convey? Well, what we're trying to convey is is that there's lessons in what the experience that the state of Nevada went through for companies. And one of the uh, things that, that we were talking about earlier is uh, that downfall that the state of Nevada took as far as an employment across the, this, this entire state is not substantially different than when the marketplace went away for Kodak or for IBM in the large computer market or for Xerox in the copier market. And we've learned a lot out of that exercise. It has not been fun. I would be uh, disingenuous would be kind to say that the last few years has been fun. But it has been an interesting exercise. And as the technology changes, as the economic climate changes, We've learned a lot about what to do and what not to do, and I think there's applications. I, there's a survey that's running out there side, and I think it's about 70% of the, uh, the respondents that are here talk about the impact of technology on their jobs and how, you know, fundamentally technology has put almost every job in this country at some level of risk. Uh, at this point, uh, Ray, is, is there anything holding holding back uh, the manufacturers in the state of making a stronger comeback? There's two things. Um, well, maybe three things. Uh, number one, uh, we have not done a great job on educating our workforce, and a large portion of the workforce that we do have, or potential workforce, doesn't really know how to spell manufacturing. We're about 4% of the, the state's workforce, and so we're not a huge player in this state. Secondarily, as I mentioned earlier, the situation in California has been they're still on tenuous grounds. They're still losing manufacturing jobs. So many of the companies that are here don't have that customer base that they once had. Um, so that's a secondary factor that, that impacts us to some degree. Um, and the third thing is that probably just the the ability of the state, the state has taken such a huge hit in its tax base, um, is getting funding to do training programs in this state is, shall we say, challenging. The community colleges have taken a substantial cut in their funding for now eight years in a row, um, and that's been the primary source in the state. We do not have a large sector of shall we say, private colleges or private operations that compete with our community colleges. So there's the horse that we ride. So we have, out of a population of 2.8 million, we have about 1.7 to 1.8 that are in the 18 to 65. The people that are in the, the, uh, 
the employment age, if you will. Um, out of that population, we have about 300,000 that have bachelor's degrees, 100,000, 110,000 that have uh, advanced degrees. We have about 100,000 that have AA degrees. So that means that we get down to the point where we've got about 1.1 to 1.2 million folks in our existing workforce that are either high school dropouts, high school diploma only, or have some college. In general, that means that they're candidates for improving their skills through the community college, and we have become, if you will, constrained in the ability to, to bring all the programs that we need to put those people to work. It's, it's a sizable task. We're working on it. We are not to the point where we're doing the numbers that we need to, and as such, some companies that are looking to relocate out of California or elsewhere tend to bypass us and say, eh, I'm not sure they've got the workforce we need. California has many issues working against it, and one of them, and how I'm connected to it, is through the metals company, All Metals and Forge Group, uh, where we sell to the aerospace industry. California is taking a huge, huge hit that they put on themselves by moving out of state, picking up the deals on the East Coast. Uh, four or five states on the East Coast have offered incredible deals to have uh, Lockheed, Boeing, uh, uh, and other aerospace companies and the subcontractors to move to this, those states where they're getting 10 and 20 year tax forgiveness, uh, aid in uh, buying property, getting funding, getting financing, uh, and they're just picking up uh, all of the, uh, the, the the aerospace trade, and California is losing out on that. California has lost about uh, a million manufacturing jobs over the last decade. Um, I stay in close contact with Jack Stewart, who runs the California Manufacturers and Technology Association, and Jack and I talk fairly often, and it's, it's frustrating. Uh, you have a state government there that does not appreciate the value of manufacturing. If you think about it... And Sounds this is, like New Jersey. Yeah. If you think about it, a large portion of this country did not appreciate the value of manufacturing until this recession hit. Mm -hmm. Many places turned around and changed their attitude on that. I'm not sure that California has yet. And New Jersey to some degree, although I'm far away from there and been away from there for a long period of time. I see to some degree the same situ issues there. Ray, what do you think the future for California is? They seem to be mired in way too much debt. Uh, they're raising their taxes on everything in sight, literally chasing their companies out of the out of the state. Uh, where do you see it going? You know, that's that's one of those things. Uh, if I had perfect vision, I could I could give you some guesses on the thing. I see them doing a lot of things that are backwards, but they still have the old adage of the marketing thing of location, location, location. So how much they get to the point where they hurt and whether they wake up and turn around and do some things differently, I don't know and I can't predict. I keep hoping they will because uh, the old adage in Nevada is when California gets a cold, we get the flu. Um, <laughs> okay. so, so we'd really like to see them get to the point where they're healthy, wealthy, and wise, but I'm not sure that that's in the short-term future. I think the efforts of programs like Walmart to bring back manufacturing in this country have got the potential to wake the state up. 
Um, there's huge potential there. It's a huge marketplace for Walmart. Um, and I think if Walmart is successful in bringing back manufacturing jobs and truly changing processes and productivity in the manufacturing sector, I think that wakes up the rest of the retail sector and we start seeing the consumer products, which are the products that routinely went away to China, uh, start to come back. You know, we've maintained our industrial manufacturing base reasonably well in this country, but we've lost our consumer goods manufacturing base, with the exception of foods. Um, and, and that's a tough note to turn around, but I think the future of this country is to turn that around. Um. Forgive me, I I did have a point here. Uh, so as far as uh, Nevada future is concerned, it's going to be a long, drawn-out affair. Our employment improves, improvement month after month. It's been on a steady but slow improvement. Um, and I think steady progress is much better than the, the spikes of up and down that, that we went through going into the recession. I think we're on the right path. I think the current governor, I think most of the, the or many of the current lawmakers have their mindset about slow and steady improvement is so much better than the knee-jerk things that we've gone through that I don't think we'll do that. We still have some issues with our tax base. We have a petition coming up on the ballot to create a new tax, which will be a tax on gross, which in a place where the business economy is not re is not improved, that's probably not the greatest idea in the world. And even the AFL-CIO came out uh, this last Friday, and they are not going to support the teacher's tax initiative. Uh, and I tell you, that's huge when the union guys start splitting. Sure. And, I, and I'm, if I'm not mistaken, the entertainment uh, center here in uh, Las Vegas, did they not lose money last year for the first, I, first time? I think they lost money overall during the last period of time. They've gone through huge downsizing. Um, if you think about it, and you've been to Las Vegas over the years many a time, what we have done in the manufacturing sector of gaming machines and gaming products is we have eliminated a lot of jobs for the gaming sector. The change grill operations and a lot of that walk around, pass things out to customers, those jobs are gone. They never come back. Card in, card out probably took, uh, I'll say conservatively, 10 to 15% of the folks off the, the casino floor. So we have done in manufacturing, we have helped them eliminate jobs, which is great for productivity and has saved them a lot of money, uh, not necessarily great for employment. What I see is going to happen is we're going to bring jobs back from China. Correction. We're going to take jobs away from China and bring products back to the U.S. to be made here. That may or may not mean jobs coming back here. So government is looking for jobs to come back. Simultaneously, the products are going to come back, but that may or may not mean jobs coming back. And it's going to be, we're facing interesting times for probably the next 20 years. Uh, some of the books that are out there, uh, there's a second machine age by uh, Eric Bryanson, or Bry at B-R-Y-N-J-O-L-F-S-S-O-N. You pronounce it. Um, <laughs> I but, couldn't spell it. 
But they're talking, uh, he and his co-author, Andrew McKee, are talking about uh, residual normal unemployment levels at 20%. And that may be the future of the country, companies, the companies in this country and the whole country. And at that stage of the game, what do we do? Because uh, that's part of the reason I'm here is there is risk for every company that's here as to what happens in their future and most of the people here. Well, I think you're right, Ray, uh, that it could, you know, if it, if it rises to that level, it wouldn't surprise me, particularly if state governments decide they want to tax on growth. That, that's going to be a, a death knell for jobs because it, the, the largest expense you've got are employees, and if you get taxed on growth, you're going to take it out of the single fattest area you can take it out of. Well, and we wind up with a situation where we're going to wind up with a balancing act that goes on between human capital and human investment versus capital equipment investment, and robots show up to work every day, and they do the job, and they work 24-7, and they don't ask for pay raises and things like that, and the cost of robots and, and computerization has dramatically decreased in the last 20 years in particular, and it's we face very, very interesting times. The state of New Jersey talking about taxation is almost at that point where there are no deductions. You are, you are uh, taxed on your uh, net, but there is no, uh, no deductions. You can't take your house taxes as a deduction, and we're still $40 billion in the hole. Yeah, a lot of states won't come back soon. They, they, uh, like the many households, which uh, the economy is waiting for them to clean up their balance sheets, we're waiting for state, local, and federal governments to clean up their balance sheets and exactly what corporate America is waiting for before they bring $7 trillion back on shore. Well, let me just leave you with this thought because I think it's an interesting one. It scares me to death. Um, We're winding up with record student debt at the same time we wind up with record federal uh, debt and what we're passing along to the next generation uh, is something they're going to be forced into making decisions that those of us that are getting close to being seniors are going to have to live with because we have left them no options but to make really, really drastic changes. I think the Social Security retirement age could jump from the 66, 67 that it is now to 75 in a heartbeat because they don't have a choice. They have to take people out of the loop. Yes, I would agree. Ray, it's been terrific having you on the show. A lot of great information. Uh, I think we really want to talk to you uh, down the road uh, on a future show, kind of keep track of what's happening in the state of Nevada. Uh, Thank you for being our guest. Thank you. Thank you very much, Frank. Appreciate you being here. And we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with Manufacturing Talk Radio. Welcome, everybody, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We have a very special guest with us today, and I'm going to let my... uh, my co-host, Lou Weiss, from All Metals and Forge Group, who also happens to be the show's sponsor, introduce our guest for us. Lou? Sure. Uh, this is Harry Moser from Reshoring Initiative in uh, Illinois. And uh, Tim, take it away. Harry, uh, th- there's a, a term that's being thrown around now in the industry called reshoring. What is reshoring? Reshoring is bringing back 
to the U.S. for manufacture products that had been made here, went away for a while, were made somewhere else, and then came back. So they've been offshored and then reshored. And we're only talking about products that will be consumed or assembled in the U.S. We do not suggest that that product, that, that toasters should be made in the U.S. and shipped to China. We, we know that's not going to happen. But in the same sense, the U.S. should be making more of what it consumes. Oh, okay. And, and how big is this movement? I know that we've heard over the last 20 years or even 30 years all these jobs being moved offshore. How big is this uh, resurgence and reshoring? The best way to compare it is, is to look back at the past and see that we lost millions of jobs to offshoring, probably 4 million total, mainly over the last 20 or 30 years. And if you compare today to 10 years ago, in about 2003, we were offshoring about 150,000 manufacturing jobs per year. That many additional jobs were going away, and almost none were being reshored. And now the offshoring has shrunk to about 40,000 jobs per year, and the reshoring has risen to about 40,000. So we have net zero loss per year now. So we've, we say we've stopped the bleeding. Okay. Are there any particular industries uh, specifically that are making this resurgence? It's strongest in, in larger, heavier things, uh, appliances, machinery, automotive components, things like that, where the, where the freight cost is high relative to the labor content. Uh, def- largely things that, that never should have gone. Uh, uh, GE is famous for having brought back their uh, water heaters to Appliance Park in Louisville, and, and that's probably a product that, that never, maybe never should have gone. And, and as the economics increasingly favored U.S. manufacturing, it was one of the first to come back. Great. Now, Harry, your firm, Reshoring Initiative, what is it that you do? We document the trend. So we document what industries, like we just discussed, are coming back, from what countries, to what states, for what reasons. So we know the, the logic, the, uh, the economics of reshoring. I promote it. I give about 100 presentations a year around the country, including today at the ISM conference. Uh, and, and then the purpose of that is to get companies interested. When they get interested, they come to our website, and we have a free total cost of ownership estimator. So the, the, the purpose of that is to help the companies that have been deciding on the basis of price, I can get it for 30% less in China, for example, to have them instead look at total cost and add up price, duty, freight, packaging, carrying cost of inventory, travel cost, intellectual property risk, the impact on innovation when you separate engineering from manufacturing, a whole series of about 30 total costs most of which the companies have ignored. And when they start to recognize all those costs, then they see that the, um, that the cost savings they thought they were getting were never as good as they thought. And now that the prices have risen or the wages have risen so much in China that the, uh, that cost saving, even the price cost saving has shrunk to the point where when they look at all these other costs, it makes sense increasingly to bring work back to the U.S. And do you find in any cases where they bring back work to the U.S. and find out, wow, we're saving money by doing this? Well, they wouldn't do it unless they believe that. But it's a, you know, they don't necessarily save it at the, uh, at the gross profit line. 
uh, the, essentially the analysis says, do we, when we bring it back to the U.S., do we reduce our overhead more than we increase our manufacturing cost? Because almost for sure the manufacturing cost is going to go up, but the overhead, which is often 20, 30 percent of the manufacturing cost when you import the product, is slashed by 80 or 90 percent. So the question is, does that come down more than the manufacturing cost goes up? If it does, then they'll be more profitable here. Uh, I'm presuming, Harry, and uh, I'd like you to correct me if I'm wrong, that your services uh, applies perhaps to, to the larger corporations as opposed to the small to medium-sized companies. Would that be correct? We're relevant to both. Certainly most of the offshoring, like most econ economic activity, is done by the large companies, the GMs, GEs, Whirlpools, and so on. So the most of the offshoring has been done by them, so most of the decisions to bring work back has to be done by them. Uh, sometimes it's hard to convince them to make the decision because they have long-standing policies to offshore X percent of the work, et cetera. Uh, so we work, we work with them. We help, we help to educate them. Uh, but we also work with smaller companies that either to help the smaller companies make that better decision or more likely to help the supplier, let's say a Ford shop, uh, use the total cost of ownership estimator as a sales tool. So when, when that Ford shop is going into the customer and, and the customer says, well, I'd like to buy them from you, but your price is 25% too high, your question should say, oh, yeah, maybe my price is high, but is my total cost too high? And get the customer to go through that analysis with you and hopefully understand that even though your price is higher, your total cost could be lower, and therefore they should give you the order. Thank you. Now, Harry, you say you go around the country, 100 presentations a year, which is a lot of traveling, uh, in promoting this. What, what are you promoting? We're promoting the fact that reshoring is actually happening, so we document the actual trend. Uh, we... Uh, provide, we, we demonstrate or, or uh, describe the total cost of ownership uh, estimator, the software. Uh, we invite companies to report their cases of reshoring. Uh, those who do so get a free manufacturing is cool t-shirt. Okay. <laughs> and and they all they have to do is go to our website, which is uh, www.reshorenow.org. Go to resources and under that ca uh, submit a case study. You submit the case study as long as we accept it because it's uh, legitimate. Uh, you get the free uh, Manufacturing is Cool t-shirt, which is provided by MFG.com, which is the business-to-business -business portal, puts together buyers and sellers about uh, mechanical products. Could you give that URL again? The URL is www.reshorenow.org. But if you, if you Google reshoring or reshoring initiative, you'll find us. We dominate the field. And, and what are you doing with MFG.com? Well, they're a business-to-business -business portal where a company could go on and, for example, describe a, a forging, and, and, and it would put the buyer in touch with many forging houses. And MFG.com has been kind enough to uh, – they had already come out with these really neat ma uh, manufacturing is cool T-shirts, and they agreed to provide it to, to free to us to give to the companies who submit their reshoring cases. Well, I'm glad to hear that because they are actually scheduled to be on our uh, radio show within the next couple of months. That's great. <laughs> I'm a little prelude for that. Right, yeah. right, right. 
Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, is there anything that uh, our listeners can do to uh, help in the reshoring growth? Okay. Uh, as consumers, uh, I would enc I encourage everybody to uh, look at the label and see if it's made in the United States. You know, if you go into a hardware store to buy a hammer, see if you can find one that's made in the U.S. And if, if you can't, then, then tell the retailer, it would be nice to be able to find a U.S. hammer here. And so that, that you, you can help pull the demand. Uh, at the companies for which you work, you can, uh, if you know that the product is being offshored, that you can talk to the supply chain people, the strategic people, the president, if you can get to the president, and say, why is it we're offshoring so much? Wouldn't it make sense to make more of that here or buy more of it here? And the president might say, you know, it's cheaper off there. We need that to survive. The answer would be, well, it, the price might be lower. The wage is lower. The price might be lower. But is the total cost of ownership lower? It might be our company would be more profitable if we brought some of it back. We're not saying everything, but do the analysis and see if some of it would come back. So, so as an employee, respectfully, you know, protecting your job, you know, right? <laughs> but, but still, at least bring that up in, in to management to get management to at least think about it. Uh, Harry, I get the sense uh, that you have a wealth and a depth of, of information to be able to sit with someone and tell them what kind of reshoring is occurring in what state, I mean by state, by industry. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, we have a, one of the other uh, resources on the website is the library. We have over a 1,000 articles that have been written about reshoring by, all, by, uh, by us, but mainly by other people. And uh, we take those articles and uh, create a database that says, here's the source article, and then it breaks out a row for each company and has 30 pieces of data about each company. Let's say one of them is GE Appliance Park. And then if there's 20 articles that have discussed GE Appliance Park, we pull all those rows about GE together and then come to a conclusion. So we know for that facility how many jobs have come back, how much has been invested, reasons, all kinds of things. And then we add all those companies together and and then do a statistical analysis on that to see what industries are coming back from, what countries, to what states, for what reasons, and how many jobs. Okay, great. Uh, Harry, what, if anything, is uh, the U.S. government doing to help initiate and promote uh, reshoring? Let's say more than five years ago, but much less than they should. The uh, 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 Congressman Wolf of Virginia uh, read one of my articles in Manufacturing Engineering, which is put out by SME, Society of Manufacturing Engineers, and he's the head of the uh, uh, Commerce Department subcommittee. So he got the, the Commerce Department to push this. So the Manufacturing Extension Partnerships, the MEPs, have been pushing it. And there's uh, four or five websites in the Commerce Department that link to ours. They put out something called ACE Tool, A-C-E Tool, uh, Assess Costs Everywhere. It helps companies analyze uh, various qualitative costs, offshore versus domestic, and feed into our total cost of ownership estimator. So they've, they've done a fair amount. Uh, they have the uh, Made in America Initiative, which is helping uh, – which economic developers are using to help companies decide to reshore. And we're working with Mississippi, Pennsylvania, and hopefully other states to do that. So they're, they're doing something. But they spend, I'd say, billions a year helping companies export. 
and they spend almost nothing on helping them I import less and do more manufacturing here. And, and so I think if they sh made an equal effort on reshoring, which is importing less as opposed to exporting more, they'd have more impact on the country and we'd all be better off. Thank you, uh, Howard. Well, that's certainly an interesting uh, approach, and I would agree that the, the federal government does spend, uh, through the Commerce Department, lots and lots of money to try to move uh, exports, uh, which has resulted in jobs moving offshore. So it'll be interesting to see if we can get them to shift to moving jobs back onshore. I know that there is, and in talking with Lou about his company, he, he's even feeling a sense, I think, that this Made in America label, which the government tried to tout some years ago, it didn't fly very well, is now coming back around. And in fact, the world is clamoring for U.S.-made products. Is that is that what you're seeing, Harry? Well, we have, uh, I think, 12 surveys, that have been consumer surveys, about the consumer preference for Made in America. And, and so we've taken all 12 of those and summarized the data. So if anybody wanted that, they could contact us and we could provide them that data and help those companies target that preference for Made in America. But the, the essence of it is uh, 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 sort of middle-aged, Midwesterners prefer Made in America. Younger people on the coast don't seem to care so much. Uh, poor people who are really, you know, just scraping by, it's hard for them to justify maybe a slightly more expensive Made in America product. So generally generally more affluent people seem to be willing to do it. Uh, the, the more safety there is involved in the product, like a, a, a parachute buckle or, a, or the slats of a, uh, a crib, the mother cares that the slats of the crib are treated with safe chemicals, whereas she doesn't care whether the table in the school is that way because there's no babies to chew on the table in the school. Ah, okay, so there's, there's a certain rationality applied to this right. in certain demographics. We've got some good data on that. If anybody's at a retail company that, or, a, or a consumer product company that wants the data, again, they could contact us. We'd be happy to provide them with the data to help them make a decision to bring some things back. Okay, and I noticed that your website is a .org. Are you a nonprofit? We're a not-for-profit. We filed for the 501c3 status, and we believe in about three months we'll get it. It takes about eight months to get the status. Okay. Uh, anything else you want to share with our audience, Harry, uh, before we uh, break for a commercial here? Well, w one, one trend that's interesting, Walmart has uh, identified they're going to buy an additional $50 billion, that's $50 billion with a B, dollars worth of Made in America products. So anybody out there that works for a company that does supply Walmart or could and could so sell Walmart more Made in USA products, we'd encourage them to make that decision, make more here, sell more to Walmart. And we're, we're working with one company out there right now to help them understand the economics of that. And we'd be happy to work with anyone else that wants to, to contact us. They can, they can reach me on, via the website. And if I can just help them by phone or by email, there's no charge for it because our, our charter is to help companies bring work back. Okay. That, that's, that's terrific. And, Harry, I, I appreciate you sitting down and uh, talking with us. I think your, your topic is uh, critical for uh, our economy, <laughs> and uh, I think it's a great, uh, great thing that you're doing. Lou, we're happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, uh, thanks again, Harry, and we're going to uh, take a quick commercial break here. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.